Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah! You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors here with episode 8. We're glad you joined us, and we uh, here at Post-Christian Pastors talk about living in a post-Christian world, some of the the things that we wrestle with and deal with living in that type of society. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit uh, less levity-driven. We're going to talk about grief is life. But before we get into that, I want to just welcome our hosts. I'm Marv Nelson. Mike Arnold. I'm Mark Helsel. John Price. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. I notice how I didn't say the word compadres. Um, <laughs> That's my just, word. Just, just talking just about the host. Oh, shoot. You, you I did, didn't it. I? All right. Well, well uh, you know how it goes. Well, I mean, today today's is, is a pretty serious podcast. Um, yeah, last time we laughed the whole way through. We yeah, sure last did. time the theme was yeah, comedy, comedy is life. Comedy is life. Yeah. It was funny. And, uh, it was very funny. It was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It Aaron was. Kleiber gave us a little He's, bit about his life. Mm-hmm. It was very enjoyable. some funny stuff when I listened to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet yeah. you notice that there was still some grief mixed in there that he, he didn't really get into a whole right. lot, but... You know, his life, even though as, as yeah, funny as it is. He had some hard things in life. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of grief that was mixed in with that. Yeah, his yep. story was not easy. And, and I think that, you know, many of us, we have stories that are not easy. Yep. There are portions of life that are difficult. And and the reality is, you know, we have to grieve the painful portions of our life. And I don't think that we do that well as a church. We, we really like the happy, clappy, let's worship really loud and sing and clap and put on this face of, I'm okay when you come into church. I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, I would hang out uh, with, this, with this family. We would sing worship songs all morning long, and we'd be all happy in their, in their house. And then in the car ride, they'd be F-bombing their kids and freaking out and wigging out on them. But as soon as we got to church, right, as soon as we got to church, they're like, okay, now. That is way and weird. They, and they put on, but I'm telling you, dude, weird. it was like every week, it was it was, it was was cockamamie, if I can use that word on this podcast. That's a you great can, word. You it can is, use cockamamie. I don't know but, how to spell it, but, but it's a great word. <laughs> but it was, it was just, it was crazy. And there's this face that people put on when they come to church. And, and I think that we need to be able to have uh, space to grieve, space to say it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I think this this particular podcast is talking about that issue. It's okay not to be okay. Grief is an important portion of life. And so as as we're jumping into this this theme, I think we just want to talk. You know, as pastors. How have we dealt with tragedy and grief as pastors? And so we each want to take time to, to answer that question because, you know, we see a lot of people in pain. We see a lot of people in, in the grieving process, and we are called by God to help them walk through their pain. So, so Mike, I'll start with you. Um, you know, how have you dealt with tragedy and grief as a pastor? Yeah. Or as a person, right? Or as a person, even, yeah. yeah. like, just as a person, Your too. personal story. Well, yeah. Well, in ministry, you're in, you engage with it all the time, because people often want to talk with you in a moment of life where there's a trial, or they're, they're sick, or a family member's sick, or they lost a job, or a relationship is in crisis. So you deal with loss all of the time. And so we navigate that with people in their lives, and it's a, it's a touch point that you have to be available. And I think probably one of my greatest regrets in ministry is not entering into that well one mm-hmm. time. Um uh, a friend lost his father, and uh, I was present for most of that journey with him, but there was one point where he really wanted me there, and I just wasn't physically present enough for him in that mm. time, mm. Um, and realizing how important it is to be around people, to be present with them, not really with answers, um, but just to be there is such an important part. So I've gauged it in ministry and in my own life. I mean, we've we all have had times where something didn't go the way that we wanted to, or sickness of a family member, or a friend, or a loved one. Um, so loss is part of life. You deal with it all the time. Yeah, and and you know you make you say that uh, well. Make that point. The reason we need grief or have grief is simply because of loss. Yeah, I, I mean, because because everybody has loss in their life. You know, and I know there's a quote that uh, well, we act like it's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like 
and we're surprised when it does. Like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this, I think, false belief that Jesus is going to remove all losses on this side of eternity. Uh, we will still experience a lot of losses on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the blessing of Christ is that he is present with us, and the community of Christ followers are with you during those times as well. Not that you won't go through them. It's a false belief that you won't go right. through mm-hmm. them. So sometimes people in the church especially are shocked when something goes bad, when their marriage has trouble or uh, when they lose their job. Well, and I think it's part of that that veneer, that face that we put on this, oh, everything has to be okay. And so people believe that lie when they see someone walk in the door every Sunday, okay, everything's fine. Sure. And when their life's in shambles, they're like, literally, what the hell is my problem? You know, right. wh- why, is, why is my life in shambles? And everybody seems fine. Uh, Henry Nouwen has this really great quote uh, in his book, With Burning Hearts. And it's a little bit wordy, but I-, I want you guys to hear it. It says, when we become weak or ill, we lost our physical independence. Mm-hmm. And when we die, we lose it all. And these losses are part of the ordinary life. But whose life is ordinary? The losses that settle themselves deeply in our hearts and minds are the loss of intimacy through separations, the loss of safety through violence, the loss of innocence through abuse, the loss of friends through betrayal, the loss of love through abandonment, the loss of home through war, the loss of well-being through hunger, heat, and cold, the loss of children through illness or accidents, the loss of country through political upheaval, and the loss of life through earthquakes, floods, plane crashes, bombings, and diseases. Perhaps many of these dark losses are far away from most of us. Maybe they belong to the world of newspapers and television screens, but nobody can escape the agonizing losses that are part of our everyday existence, the loss of our dreams. And I think that's that's a, a powerful point that we don't really talk about in the grieving process is, man, here's what I dreamt for my life. And you sit down and you talk with a 50-year-old and, or a 60-year-old or even a 40-year-old or 30-year-old and yeah. say, are you doing what you feel like you wanted to do? So the loss of the dreams is, is an imperative thing to, to talk about. And, and mm-hmm. I think that it points to the reality that we all have loss in our life. You know, so, so John, how have you dealt with tragedy and grief as a pastor or as a person? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I've dealt personally with, with, you know, different levels of tragedy and grief. I mean, I've shared with you guys uh, the break, breaking of my parents' marriage mm-hmm. uh, later in life and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that type of thing. I think as a pastor, one of the things that I've found... <clears throat> just out of my own, how, how I'm wired to, to walk with people through this is I've just found that it's just helpful to sit with people and, and mourn with them. Yeah. Right. And just, I mean, just mourn cr- with those who mourn, right. Just cry when it's yeah. appropriate to cry, just to be there, um, to know, to reassure them that you're there with them in that process. Yeah. That, um, you know, there's plenty of Bible verses that are that can be helpful at times, but just that presence there, and just to, for people to know, I'm not going to leave you. Yeah. In in this process, I think is one of the most powerful things that anybody can do, not just right. a pastor, but um, you know, we don't need to fix grief. Right. Right. <laughs> Only and, Jesus can fix grief. Right. I was just about to say that. I mean, like resting with them in it is an is an important piece and they they just want you to listen right. they don't want you to try and fix right. or say oh it's going to be okay or here's the the trite bible verses that you right. need to know but just sitting with and, and jesus did that he sat with people in their pain right exactly i mean that can be uncomfortable yeah but well, you know, comfortable here right. <laughs> i mean it's not comfortable but you know that's what we're called to do as as fellow believers that we're you said mourn with those who mourn, yeah. rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's a great bond there, isn't there? Like when you enter into pain somebody and you're with them or someone's entered into your pain and they've helped you journey through. And we've done that even around this table. Some of us have helped uh-huh. each other through difficult seasons. Uh, relationships like grow, they galvanize in those moments. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they become much stronger. Communities and churches grow stronger. Businesses grow stronger when they're in difficult times. Absolutely. So often in these times... Uh, it can cause a great bond. Yeah. Mark, uh, how about you? How have you dealt with tragedy and grief as a pastor or as a person? Well, I think, um, first of all, coming at it as a pastor, I think this is the issue that I often, when I think about this issue, it's kind of like the two sides of the magnet. Like when you put when you put like uh, magnets together and sometimes they, they pull and they, they, they pull each other together or other times they repel, um, this issue of grief and suffering and loss in a people's lives is either the thing that draws them closer to God or it repels them yeah. away from God. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, interesting 
dynamic that it can do both. Yeah. And uh, I've seen both. Uh, I've seen horrible things as a pastor that I've had to walk through with people. I can remember standing by my friend's uh, side who was burying his mm. six-month-old kid yeah. who died of SIDS. And um, yeah. I can think of just tragic moments that that shook my faith yeah. and shook other people's faith and and you don't we don't really know how to grieve very well yeah. um, so as a pastor seeing that and and not having often a very adequate answer I, I love what Billy Graham said Billy Graham said that there are hundreds and hundreds of books and things written on suffering and 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 loss and he says nothing of it none of them have ever satisfied me but I trust Jesus you know yeah. like and going back yeah. to going back to that so so I, I love what he said about that personally oh man where to start uh personally you know i've in the last four years of my life went through more suffering than i've ever had in my life up to that i lived a pretty much suffering free life up to 42 or loss or and and grieving loss and um it was very interesting because you know that's not over Mm -hmm. for me um but i saw it the effects it had on people around me was very interesting because there were people who were just like, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't be near this. They just couldn't deal with grief. They yeah. couldn't, mm-hmm. they couldn't deal with that. There was other people who were like, just get over it. Just get over it. Yeah. And it's like, really? Like, I'm just supposed to get over this? Yeah. And then there were other people who, like was said here, stuck by you and sat with you and listened and was just there for you. So, yeah. um, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm looking forward to, to uh, hearing from our guests today and, and going, you know, seeing yeah. what seeing what she has to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you walk through tragedy and grief, it's it is painful and difficult. You know, I I uh, one of the most powerful moments in my life is when I was in college and was challenged to write a grief journal, asking the Holy Spirit to to take me back to the the, the places of my life I really didn't allow myself to grieve, mm. and then writing those down in a chronological order is how I did it and. And I grieved through that, man. I cried. I bawled my eyes out. I cussed God out in this journal a little bit because I, I was angry. There were moments where I didn't allow my anger at God to, to show up, um, but it was there hidden, and, and it was secret in my heart, and God really uncovered these. And, and and so I'm really excited, too, about our guest who's walked through this process. Her name's Beth Allen Slevkov, and uh, her latest book is Broken Hallelujahs, Learning to Grieve the Big and Small Losses of Life. She walks through that. She has a, a, a deep conversation conversation about it. And so I'm really looking forward to her advice and and her words of wisdom as it comes to grieving and really going through the process of learning how to grieve, big and small. I think mm-hmm. we, we always think of the big rocks that we need to grieve, and we don't deal with the sand. And the sand takes up more room than the big rocks many times in our life. And so I, I'm really looking forward to... And the sand to, adds up. Yeah, it does. And, it's, and, and it can weigh more than, than the big stones. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to to what Beth is going to to say to us. So with that, we're going to take a, a brief break. If you uh, you know just tune back into us, chill out for a second. Yeah, and, buckle uh, in though. Yeah, yeah, buckle in for sure because it's going to be an intense an intense ride. But I think it's a ride that we all need. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back. Well, back here on Post-Christian Pastors, and we are excited about our guest today. Uh, she's going to share w- with us about her new book that just came out and share with us and talk about this subject of grief and loss and suffering. And uh, her name is Beth Slevkov, and uh, we're excited to have her. She is a spiritual director, retreat leader. She's a surfer, too. Pretty cool. And a mom. Uh, she served as the director of spiritual formation for youth specialties for seven years, and uh, and she worked there at the same time that I did. Somehow we didn't meet, so we should probably talk about that. Uh, she holds a, uh, degrees in theology and education. She is an oblate 
at a Benedictine monastery. We don't know what that is. We don't know what that is. We'll ask her in a minute. Some people not, might not know what that is. Yeah, some, some people. Some Other of us. people. She lives in San Diego, with her t- tough place to live, with her husband and two young children. She currently co-leads the San Diego Spiritual Directors Association. And her latest book, as we mentioned, is Broken Hallelujahs, Learning to Grieve the Big and the Small Losses of Life. So welcome, Beth. Hey, thank you. How are you doing? How's sunny San Diego? Well, about three raindrops today. So oh, it's, it's, man. it's kind of rough, rough out here. So <laughs> tough, roughing it in yeah. San Diego. Surfing today? Did you go surfing? Uh, tomorrow morning, Wednesdays oh, and Fridays. Wednesday, Sarah, Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays and Fridays are surfing nice. day. Right. You know what? Yeah. Wednesday and Friday are here just like garbage days or something like that. You know, like <laughs> mowing the lawn. Mowing day. the lawn day. If, if it's it didn't not rain. <laughs> or yeah. mowing both days because it's raining so much. Yeah. Right? yeah. Beth's going surfing. You're mowing the lawn. So before we get into this serious stuff, Beth, what is an oblate at a Benedictine monastery? Well, um, it's somebody who is formally connected to the monastery, so there's kind of, sort of a formal process that goes on, and this has been a place, I'm, I'm not Catholic, I'm obviously a woman, not a man, this is a male Benedictine monastery, but... Um, You're jumping they, barriers there. You're crossing yeah, all <laughs> kinds of barriers. Really am. <laughs> but maybe 25 years ago, I, I found this place in the high desert, uh, and, and it just became a deeply important, helpful place in my own journey, and uh, ended up formally connecting with them through prayer and um, and a couple things like that. So cool. I don't so know. So what's if I the word that. oblate mean? What is it? What's oblate? Oblation, kind of offering yourself to ah, God. Okay. Prayer. Yeah. Very cool. See, it shows how much I know. <laughs> well, it's good. I, we're, we are really glad that you're here, and uh, I, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed your book, uh, Broken Hallelujahs. It's it's been a blessing to me personally, and. I've really loved reading what you've written and your kind of journey. And I wanted to kind of ask you, what was the process and the life events that kind of led you to the writing of your book? Yeah. Um, Two things, um, both professionally and personally, or those are the two things. There's a zillion things in both those areas. But working as a spiritual director, I would meet with people um, time and time again and and listen to what God is doing in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in their life, listen together. And uh, some grief, um, you know, we'd often start and they'd say something like, oh, well, I'm not praying as I should, or I'm feeling disconnected with God, then just listen a little deeper. And so often some ungrieved grief was right under the surface, you know, just being disappointment or, or a loss of a loved one or whatever, um, relational stuff, um, whatever it was. And, and then also personally, um, trying to figure out, I, w- I was raised in a wonderful home and um, very idyllic and didn't really understand how to integrate pain once I discovered that part of our journey in loss is filled with pain. Pain is right. part of it. Part of life <laughs> part is pain, human, right? Yeah. Right, part of the human experience. And so a, a number of things, um, loss of of health through arthritis and um, marriage disappointments and not understanding how, you know, expectation, a lot of my expectations were slowly shattered in a lot of different places. And then, and then it culminated in when my brother got um, brain cancer. And during that five-year period where he was with us living, um, uh, I, we also, my husband and I also lost our business and went into bankruptcy, had two, two little babies, and um, it all com- combined to this really dark place where I experienced God's, uh, God's absence and didn't, didn't know why in a time where I really needed, needed to be ha- have God's presence or experience God's presence, feel God's leading through it. So kind of what to do with all of that. And so for both those reasons, I thought this is something that... I don't know a lot of people who do well or have a lot of right. uh, yeah. traveling companions in this, and yet we all know it's, it's a part of a part of life, right? So yeah. that was worthwhile talking about it and hopefully encouraging people to to get honest about what's going on with their hearts and, but, and griefs. You know, grieving is it is part of the human experience, as you say. Why do you think it's so unacceptable in the culture that we live in today? 
<laughs> yeah, it is. It's just it's an inappropriate. Uh, it's, a- <laughs> it's inappropriate. Don't bring to suffer. Your, don't bring your don't sadness grieve. on me. Yeah, come on, Beth. You're being inappropriate. <laughs> right, I am. I'm just it's so inappropriate. Um, well, you know, I it's painful. It, it's messy. It, it it can look ugly. Um, it's you can't we can't control it. Like right, we like to control things. I hmm. certainly super duper like to control things. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, you know, and but in the church too, and that's the place I. I have the hardest time um, with is is that just thinking um, a, lot, a lot of our theologies don't don't hold our experiences and so where do we go well you know we go to the we go to the dive bar or, or we we go someplace else and and I don't think we have to I think Jesus is kind of deeply present within that but we have to open up a lot of stuff to 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 connect with that it's interesting to me that you just said that the church is the hardest place for you to go yeah. I mean that that's to speak a little bit more about that because I thought it was interesting that also like you're a spiritual director, had been a spiritual director when all of this stuff kind of happened and you kind of felt ill equipped, right, to to deal with yeah. it because the theologies or whatever of your background or things didn't have a room for this. So explain explain yeah. that a little bit more about that and and what you said about the church. Why why is the church been the hardest place for you to go with your grief? Yeah, and I I say that coming from a church that was really healthy and gave me a tremendous amount of of who I am. I mean, really was formational for me. And at the same time, um, I I don't it it didn't help grieve. There was a lot of the kind of theology of the resurrection resurrected Jesus. So just you know just pray, um, just give it to God, and not um, much that helped me. Um, be present in the dark parts, open mm. up the places of hopelessness and fear and anxiety, or wel- even welcome those places. Um, it was kind of like uh, uh, the, the old give it to God technique. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Let go. And let, let, Jesus. Jesus. Let, go. let Jesus let do that, whatever that is. <laughs> right. And if that works, you know, fantastic. I, I wish it was that easy. You know, that it feels yeah. kind of like the just take a pill theology. <laughs> right. right, right. <laughs> It does the same thing as a pill. Well, that's that's kind of our culture, right? Just take a pill, yeah. right? Uh, you know, yeah, right. And and I understand it. I mean, I'm you know being a little snarky, but I that's I totally right. we get like it. Snarky. Right? <laughs> Good, we like yeah. That's yeah. why we're kindred spirits for yeah. sure. But um, but pain is painful. Yeah, yeah, right. It is. Well, and we we talked a little bit earlier in this show um, about how you know there's this sense in the evangelical American church that there's a veneer that we need to put on, like we're okay, everything's fine. You know, we're, we're there's a suck it up theology or pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mentality um, yeah. that that we you know grieving is is not acceptable. But like you mentioned, if if we don't grieve the losses, if we don't allow ourselves to feel it, it's like uh, one of my mentors said, it's like shoving a beach ball under the water it's going to pop up somewhere um you know either in the self-medicating at the at the bar like you mentioned or other things how can people grieve well you know as you're talking about this grieving process and you know how can we do that well yeah well and you know it's 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 uncomfortable right and and we don't um i think the church has problems helping helping us in that um, um, because the individuals in the church and the, the the structures in the church too haven't done the hard inner work. <laughs> I guess that's how. Right. I guess that's how I said. Haven't held that tension until until God has transformed it into something useful. So so that tension between what really is going on and how we want things to be or how we think things should be how we desire for them to be and that's that's a quite a difficult place to hold and if we don't have this sense that the holy spirit is within that place helping us hold that and that god is underneath us the foundation to that we're not going to stay in that place we're going to numb out right. or drop down into depression or or just you know minimize it i mean christian particularly probably christian women are fantastic at minimizing our our griefs or yeah. saying things like uh you know, uh, why should I complain about my arthritic knees? Uh, Jesus died this excruciating <laughs> death for us, you right. know. And all I'm doing there um, is disconnecting from the only one, I think, that can help heal, transform, resurrect, you know, move 
um, move this grief into a place that opens eventually and expands versus versus shuts down and shuts me off from myself and others and God. Uh, Beth, you've mentioned a couple of times that the church is church has a the church in general has a hard time helping people with grief. Um, one of the things that I've kind of been exploring lately, and I'd like to get your input on this, is is that is one of the reasons that, for that is because we don't like our our worship, our gatherings don't really have any aspect of of that uh, emotion in our in our gatherings where. You know, if you look at the Psalms, if you look at... Good lament. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, <clears throat> the Psalms are, you know, three, two-thirds of them are, are laments, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but our modern worship is all about, for the most part, like, you know, what, you know, let's sing songs that make us feel good, and it's exciting, and mm-hmm. all these type of things. Would you, can you, do, you th- do you see that in our, in our worship liturgies and things like that, ways that we might be able to actually help people in their grief? You know, I think it's the the um, kind of the stream of Christianity that you're involved in the, too, or that you know that people are involved in. I think that's partly why I uh, rooted myself in Benedictine spirituality through this mm-hmm. monastery, because that um, has been very helpful with my uh, evangelical uh, stream of Christianity. Um, that has given me a place to walk the Stations of the Cross and to to really understand that. Um, um, not everything is a is a, a worship song of of praise and yay. Right. <laughs> Jesus is a friend of mine. You know, John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul a lot. Yes, uh, and really kind of mentions that. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, our, our our liturgies don't talk about that moment of darkness of the soul. But John of the Cross and even Teresa Avelia talked much about those issues, and I, I think that we need to get back to that. Yeah, I know I the example is like one time I <clears throat> preached this sermon on on grief and su- pain and suffering, and you know how the how the Bible speaks to that. And we, you know, and the the music that we picked was very much like lamenting and all this kind of stuff. Afterwards, I got so much like pushback from people like, I didn't come to church for that. To feel down? To f- yeah, I didn't come to church to feel bad. It's supposed <laughs> to make me feel happy, <laughs> right? Now, thinking, well, what about those people who don't, yeah. right? I mean, they need to know that this is a place for them as well, that, that the Bible speaks to their, you know, to their loss and their, uh, and their grief, and that, and that, you know, that we're here to do that with them, right? You know, Beth, I got one question. It kind of piggybacks on, on this thread. Every once in a while, someone will come to me, and I'm sure the other pastors here on this table, and say uh, that they've done something wrong, uh, yeah. whether it's a reaction maybe to they've the prosperity gospel, or they believe that God wants to bless them, which that is true within Scripture. We see God wanting to bless His children, but they've kind of equated it to uh, something's not going right. I'm suffering or I'm in pain. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Or why is God punishing me? How would you respond to someone who who is in that kind of position today? Yeah, well, that's a lot of the work I do listening as a spiritual director. And I think that's where we immediately go because we can control that. Yes, Right. If I've done something wrong, I can fix that, and then my life is going to be easier. Is the belief behind that? And um, and so you know, uh, there is a certainly a need to discern and look at if that's the case, because it, it can be. Of course, there there can be something as simple as I've done something wrong, and it's making my life miserable. But there's so much more complexity than that. And and like you were mentioning, or one of you was mentioning, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, and there's so much, you know wealth of understanding in our Christian history about the God who who um, is in the darkness at times and so it, uh, is not presenting God's self to our senses at times, and it's not always because of sin in my life. Mm-hmm. It's, off, it's off in those dark nights or God is doing something within me. God is transforming and shaping and opening something in me, and I don't get to know or have power over what's happening. I just have to wait and be faithful, and that's where the laments come in, Right, right. And, and the community. Um, and that's, that's been a huge thing for me. I grew up believing that I was supposed to hold faith and hope and trust at all times. So when, I, so when that trust was shattered and, and God was not um, uh, protecting and providing for me in the way that I had believed God was going to, yes. I, I, I was left thinking, you know, I'm, I'm screwed. I've done something wrong. What's right. going on? Yeah. But you know, really matured or grown into um, this understanding that, no, that's that's what the community's for. It's not all about, you know, Beth individually having great faith and trust all the time. And, you know, there's sometimes 
um, the person next to me in the pew is is the one that's able to say the prayers, and I just sit there. And, and listen, they're, you know, but they're sometimes, the same, right? yeah, we're we're all fathers here, and I think uh, I liken it to this illustration. Some of my favorite moments with my daughters are when one of them has fallen and, and hurt themselves a little bit, just skinned their knee. Uh, at that particular time, they're much more kind of warm just to come close to me. They want to sit on my lap. They want, to sit, they want to cuddle next to me. They want to be reassured. And as a father, it's one of the best moments that I get to be with my child. Yeah. Uh, how have you experienced that with God, that when we're banged up, that maybe we're, we're more open to him or maybe we're, we long to get closer to him? Yeah. And, and it depends, right? If we feel like God has left the building, it's mm-hmm. very, yeah. very difficult to want to jump onto that lap and be comforted. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of it has to do with, with our with our theology. Um, mm-hmm. um, but so I think there's times when our when our traveling companions or our community becomes so important because they become that extended lap of God for us. Or we find out what we can do, and maybe we can go sit by the stream and be in one of God's many laps mm-hmm. um, until God brings us back or restores trust or faith or hope. And and I, I think we put way too much responsibility on ourselves um, in this whole process. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is I think our job is to welcome what is happening to our hearts and to our minds and welcoming, meaning meaning opening it up honestly um, to God. And it's it's God's job to restore faith and to restore hope and to restore trust. And really only God can can do those things. And I think that's what God does. And I think we're so often ca- caught in this really tight sort of anxious understanding or theology that we just got to fake it till we make it or, or yeah. we have to pretend, you know, we have more faith even though we don't. And um, that doesn't allow for any healing, right? That just allows for kind of disconnected people. Right. I mean, the the re- repetition of the Psalms is waiting on the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. There's that repetition yeah. over mm-hmm. and over again. Wait on the Lord, and like nobody said, wants to wait. Nobody wants to wait. Right? Not in this culture. No, and especially when it comes to grief, we don't want to. We don't want to wait. No, it's that, like right? get out of it as quickly as right. possible, yeah. and 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 not really think about any of the work that has to be done in it. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about something that you wrote in the book. You you wrote about um, some of the brokenness and the disillusionment that you experienced in your marriage, and mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of how those things happen. And, you know, this means a lot to me. Uh, I was married for 10 years. I'm not married anymore. Um, that wasn't a decision that I made, but it was made for me. And, uh, and so I just wanted to, you know, and that was the strongest grief part in my life. I, I want to know like how you, how you, and I see a lot of my friends going through this in their marriage and they have, you know, they're disillusioned by their marriage or there's brokenness in their marriage. And so they just give up on their marriage. Uh, I've seen that a lot with friends and people that I know, people in my congregation. Um, how have you applied, you know, living in that tension of brokenness, disillusionment in your marriage and, and still moving forward with joy and hope and faith in your marriage? Yeah, great. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> right. A lot of people are. And right, and I say that uh, loving my husband and um, thinking, you know, God was very, very present in in the process of of marrying him and and knowing he's a good man and all those things in place. Um, but this is such an important uh, topic. Um, it's similar to grief, I think, because we haven't been given. Well, it's kind of a blanket statement, but I haven't felt like I've been given really good role models and honest people and right and and good christian books i chapter three love and disillusionment was my attempt to kind of write um well i've always wanted to write an anti-christian marriage book (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the line i think the line you said in the book was how to marry an a normal guy or something what was what did you call it yeah yeah um how to what was it just a guy. Yeah, not yeah. marry just a guy. Well, it, like not your soulmate. <laughs> right. I think I think a lot of that comes from that that veneer trying to be okay, trying to you know like I had a lot of pain in my past and my parents got divorced and I was the testimony kid, right? <laughs> like everyone threw me up front, and say here's your testimony, tell them how God brought you through the pain of your dad's uh, suicide attempt. And You're I'm like, like oh, oh Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, I was like Jesus brought me through, but then I got to college, I was like. 
I'm not okay. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, and so it was it was very freeing. Um so go back to your marriage. Let her finish on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I just talk about your marriage, how you how you've worked that through in your marriage. Yeah. Well, um my my uh I'm not really writing a marriage book, but it would it would be called True Love Never Did Run Smooth, just just <laughs> quote <laughs> Shakespeare. Uh, trying as best I can to be open and honest with with what's going on at the at the moment. And so so much of my journey was recognizing how many expectations I had about what marriage was supposed to look like, what a good wife does, what a good husband does. And there's so much letting go. And that's that's grief, right? There's so much um loss involved about any any new kind of relationship or any new transition. And I've just found marriage has been the greatest source of spiritual formation uh, in my life because I'm constantly being forced away from my own center yeah. into this, you know, navigating life with another. And it would have been helpful to have have some resources or some examples on on how to do that, on how to do that honestly in, in different seasons, right? Agreed. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, I mean, you're married to somebody different every year. Even if you know, if you're if you're in a lifelong union, it's true. It's a different person every year, and you're a different person every year. So I kind of practice this thing uh, within myself to just see if I can say I do yeah, every year on my anniversary. I kind of journal journal about that and what it means to say I do with this man and with me this year, and what I need to do to get to that. You know? Right. I remember there, near my home when I lived on the other side of Pittsburgh, there was a, a divorce lawyer's, uh, you know, road sign, you know, uh, sign there. And it, you know, the question was, or the thing about, on it was, um, I'm not married to the same person that I married. And I'm thinking, I hope you're not. Like, that's <laughs> what a boring yeah. life if you're married to the same person that you married, that you, that you, you know, originally married and that whole idea of changing. Um Right. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, how people uh, minimize their losses um, in terms of our, how our grieving process and things like that? Gosh, I mean, I just think we do it all the time. Are we only often name losses that are the really big ones that somebody else will look at and go like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that counts. Right. Yeah. You know, right. OK, yeah. But even in our culture, sometimes divorce, which is obviously a huge loss, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Not even really named right. sometimes, and um, um, but anyway, that uh, that process of 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 naming our losses and opening up our losses and 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 trying to find ways to creatively work with those losses um, and recognizing the um, the small ac- accumulation of loss. You know, and so my first, the first part of my book is all about, I'm using personal story, but the intention is to help the reader move into their own personal stories. And it, it goes through all sorts of losses of innocence and expectations and health and relational and, um, and things like that, that in hopes that people can begin to name and not, not minimize or ignore, um, what's going on with them. And it, it all goes back to listening to our hearts. And, and we're kind of trained, I think, to disconnect and stay up in our, our left brains quite a bit. And yeah. it, that usually doesn't serve us too well, I think. Beth, what do, you, what do you do when it seems like God is silent, when he's just not speaking to you? Because hmm. a lot of people struggle with that. That's like one of the number one yeah, things yeah. you get as a pastor is, I don't hear God saying mm-hmm. anything to me. And the absence of God and, and yeah, the dark you know, night of the soul. Yeah, like C.S. Lewis talks about that in A Grief yeah. Observed. It feels like just the yeah. lights are out in the house and no one's there. And you can knock and bang all you want, but no one's going to yeah. come to the door. Yeah, and it feels like God has bolted the door behind. Yeah. 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 What, what, um, well, I first, I, I placed a lot of spider solitaire. <laughs> 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 and um, maybe have a glass of wine. And no, number two. That's complain. Um, mm-hmm. uh, shake my fist if I'm honest. If mm-hmm. I'm, you know, honestly recognizing what's going on. You know, I, it usually takes me a while to notice that I'm not doing well. Mm. <laughs> or be, you know, that I'm feeling disconnected from God or I'm feeling, you know, hurt or something. But that's that's where the laments have been such an important part of kind of my marching orders on what to do when I feel like God's left the building. Is that, yeah. of course, what they, there are, that's where they're, they're written in that context. I mean, the chair is pulled out of the people of Israel, right? And right. for whatever reason, God is not protecting and providing them like they thought God would, and they are not who they thought 
they were either, you know, we're the people of God, right. we're the chosen ones, and and all of a sudden they're they're in a, a heap of hurt. Beth, let me and, stop you right here real quick. I just want to. How do yeah. you know you're not doing well? Like you said, you don't know, you don't notice for a moment. Someone was uh, not aware. Like, what are some of the indicators for you? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question um, because it can be such a subtle, yeah, subtle right. drift, you know. And I think it's uh, different with everyone. Um, I mean, I'll get more irritable, and um, and just you know, there's a subtle disconnection from life. So, I, mm. my myself, my friends, not interested in in prayer. Um, you know, that's how it. That's how I notice it. But I think everybody would have to ask that differently. I mean, okay. I'll go into kind of depression. Um, I'll go to depression or anger. I kind of believe that most people in some point in their life are going to deal with depression. Yeah. Maybe not clinical as we would see clinical depression. Yeah, I know for me in college, I went through a very deep depression and it was a mm. transformational uh, time period. It's for called me. February for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. February in Pittsburgh. It's called life in Cleveland, <laughs> yes. usually. February yeah. and the end of every sports season. <laughs> but, anyways, that's another thing. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, depression, I mean, do you, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? Like, depression yeah. doesn't have to be. So demonized and... Absolutely, uh, yes. And I think that's, you, you know, it, it's sort of um, adolescent, I think, to deal with, you know, I'm happy, so life is good. I'm sad, so life mm-hmm. is bad. I'm happy, so God is here. I'm sad, so God right. is not here. Right. You know, um, that idea of seasons, right, is, has been helpful for me, that uh, we're not supposed to be, you know, smiling and, and, and fruitful, like the summer and spring seasons all the time. There, there are winters, and those are times that, you know, might not look as beautiful at the plants but the you know that kind of idea of the the roots are growing deeper type of thing and there's things going on in the plants when they're dormant that are that it's very important to go on and so uh it would be wonderful if i could trust and lean into that kind of broader awareness of of the the reality underneath um, my feelings and my experiences at the moment Mm. so i mean very much i mean i think you know god uses our times of depression uh, often to draw us closer, to force us to deal with addictions, to force us to get help, hold hands with the right kind of people, um, connect with our hearts, or maybe they're an indication that we haven't connected with our hearts for a long time. So Mm. So you you talked about, we talked about depression there for a moment. Now, not the flip side of this, but you you get the pain, but then you have pleasure. And you talk about, you talk about in the book, you know what? What part does pleasure play in the grief process? Not only maybe could be unhealthy pleasure or good pleasure. What 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 role does that play in the whole grieving process? Mm. So I, I have prayer practices in the in the book, and one of them is doing what we love. Yeah. By the way, you end yeah. every chapter with a with a prayer practice. Pretty cool. Mm. Like you give people stuff to do. So yeah. sorry, sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead. No, so so I do think when we're in grief, it's helpful to have containers and to help place that grief and process that grief and, and to help us um, connect with ourselves and, and with God in that grief. Um, and so uh, this idea of finding what we love to do, and in, in times of de- grief or in times of depression, you know, things are obviously pretty pretty dark and pretty heavy, and so we see so clearly what we don't love about right. everything. But if we're able to remember, oh, you know, as a kid, I, I loved, you know, flying a kite or getting my feet wet in a stream or something or playing baseball. Well, those are things that can invite us uh, um, into returning to those things in the midst of grief. Because what that does is it it gives us some energy. It gives us some juice, right? It gives yeah. us a little gas to, to keep kind of move forward in the car, you know, and, um, and that can help us do the more difficult work of, of staying present in times that are not feeling good to us. Waiting, the waiting. Mm. A lot of people turn to, you know, really unhealthy pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, to make themselves feel better in the midst of, in the midst of grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but finding, you know, the things that you loved. I love what you said about finding things you loved, maybe even as a child, as a, in growing up, like these are things that brought you great joy. Yeah, and and how important to um, 
to know that and to figure figure that out. You know, I think I think we know the difference between a numbing out mm-hmm. kind of pleasure that is pretty superficial and will just pull us out of that pain in the moment. You know, taking a drug, pornography, right. drinking too much alcohol. I mean, it's, it's, or even just numbing out on social media. You know. Um, Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the problem is still just the same or worse. We, we can do things that, of course, make things worse or my choices, but it's it's still there when we turn off the computer or, mm-hmm. you know, put the wine bottle away or whatever. Find what we love to do is, is really important. And I do, I do think this is um, often more difficult for men to, to do that mm-hmm. um, and to give themselves permission to do that, whatever that looks like. Now, you know, in the book, you, you talk about, uh, one, you know, one of the, the main thread all the way through the book is the loss of your brother, as, mm-hmm. you, ta- as you talked about um, it, it all throughout the book, and you talked about the beginning of this podcast, and that was how many years ago that you lost your brother? Four years ago, August. So, four years ago. So, you know, I, I want to ask you, like, where are you in that grieving process with that as you've walked through losing a person that you loved so deeply and you wrote a book about it like where would you say you are at this point you know in that grieving process um mark feels uh close in ways that i never expected and you know deeply distant in ways that still break my heart when i want to call him on the phone and and so it's it's all there you know it it all kind of over time, I think, just integrates more and more. So, it, Beth, it's a process then, right? I mean, people, I think yeah. sometimes, we, sometimes people think, well, you know, in six months or a year or yeah. a year and a half or two years, okay. you should be okay, right? Right. Or we have one year to grieve. If it's a really important person in our yeah, life right. that we've lost that we really can't live without, we have a year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's, grief has has a mind of its own. I mean, it just comes and goes and, um, you know, I... My my deal is really trying to train myself to welcome what's there and just trusting that the Holy Spirit is there with me, mm. opening that. So if if something uh gets hit on again and again and again, um, you know, I don't I don't beat myself up anymore and say, Oh, I'm supposed to be over that, or I thought I grieved that, or in the same right. way like, Oh, I thought I forgave so and so for that. You know, I'm just learning that nope. I'm going to trust that God is present in this, and uh, and and God has more more tending or healing or holding to to do with me in this. So, but Beth, you know, life also goes on, and um, you know, part of even the Shiva experience is that at some point, uh, someone who's grieving, there's a symbolic. You get the person out, and you walk around the neighborhood, yeah. and you start walking, and it's to show people that life goes on. That um, there, maybe never an end to grieving, but there's an appropriate turning of the page in living mm-hmm. life again. Uh, how does one do that when they're going through a difficult season like you are with the loss of a, a loved one or a brother or a family member? And how does one turn the page? Hmm. Well, I don't think uh, we decide when that page gets turned. Um, I think... Um, you know, if, if we're with somebody who's grieving, it might be helpful to notice if that's grieving is going into places that need need a therapist to help them. If it's going into dark places, you know, if it's kind of spinning out of control. Um, but for for most of us, uh, I think you know we can prolong perhaps our our grieving because we're stuffing it or hiding it or minimizing it. Mm. But I think if we're for most of us, if we're open and honest to to what's going on, there's a, there's a natural um, progression you know we're letting this um deep deep wound we're letting the air in Mm. and the air is that honesty and the air is that touch of christ and that just moves it it doesn't stay the same Mm -hmm. and so i think we wake up to the page being turned more than we decide when it needs to be turned unless there's other issues like you know chronic depression or other things to pay pay attention to Sure. sure that's great well, Beth, um, I, I got to ask you, so on a little lighter note, um, mm-hmm. on a little lighter note, in the book, you talked about a couple things 
uh, and the spiritual impact they had was like running with the bulls, which mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of secretly wants to do in their life one time. <laughs> I, don't know but is like, I don't know if I'm fast but enough. Is scared yeah. to, but is scared to death to do. So you talked about running with the bulls and you talked about getting a tattoo, which yeah. were kind of these spiritual moments where you explain that a little bit. It's a little bit of a lighthearted kind of thing to, to kind of talk about. Um, let's see. Well, running with the bulls, I actually was going to run with my brother. We did the pilgrimage across Spain, uh, Compostela. And, um, have you ever seen the movie, the way did you ever see the movie, the way I I did? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, anyway. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we started in Pamplona and Mark wanted the two of us to, to run with the bulls. And so I kind of researched the actual danger. And of course (laughs) there is a little bit, um, (laughs) But yes, yeah. there are bulls. There are bulls <laughs> running <laughs> at you. Um, but kind of looked at who gets gored are pretty much the uh, the drunken, and they're almost always Americans that get bored. <laughs> oh, that's all the drunken Americans <laughs> get bored. You know, or bo- bored. What do you surprise. call it? Gored. Gored. Bored. <laughs> Probably bored and gored. So go but ahead. Anyway, that my arthritis, um, uh, the onset was right before, right before I biked 500 miles across Spain, and um, so didn't end up being able to run. I was barely able to walk, Um, but my husband ended up going down to run, which was hilarious. He's not a run for any reason type of person. (laughs) But you will run if a bull (laughs) has chased He and I would get along well. (laughs) But it was was in this chapter on the the physicality of of grief and how, how much grief gets trapped in our in our bodies and this whole festival of the running with the bulls is based on the saint that was dragged to his death behind bulls in Pamplona. And so the festival is deeply religious at its core Mm. and it's this redemption. It's this recognition of the life death life process. I kind of is recurrent theme for me um, that death comes in the middle. And so it's the story of these people and now, you know, drunken party goers, but (laughs) acting out this life running in front of the bulls to life. To redeem this saint, so right. Uh, Very anyway, cool. so Joe kind of did that for me. That's great. <laughs> so that's now, what about the tattoo? So I live downtown, um, across from a tattoo parlor, and these guys were scary to me, and, and awful music, <laughs> and the blankety blank your mother in the middle of the night, and all this, <laughs> wow. you know, fights, and um, just I just couldn't I couldn't stand them. I didn't. I didn't want to go near that side of the street. Hard so I, about two years, I was kind of glaring down at them and, and fantasizing about shooting out their tires or something. Wow. I was so angry. This is a spiritual director. Yeah. <laughs> she's she, she is she's an, the one that enters into people's pain. She is an oblate at a Benedictine monastery. I'm going to... With uh, a gun. are going to call me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Say, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> but um, It's the brokenness and the beauty, like you wrote in the book. That's right. That's right. In fact, I had just come back from a three-day silent retreat at the moment. <laughs> and, oh, that pesky and, human nature. Yeah. And I, as soon as I got home, I was saying the worst words I knew out the window at the top of my lungs and then hiding behind the curtain so they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they wouldn't see me because I was so afraid. But I, was, uh, I just kind of... That's I, awesome. I lost it. But anyway, I decide, I realized, I, I was convicted in that fantastic old-timey word. I was really convicted at one point as I'm glaring down at them that these are my neighbors and, gosh darn it, you know, we're supposed to love them. And it's something Or scream just, profanities at them. Either <laughs> well, that was, yeah. So I did that first, and Self-love. that's kind of my pattern. <laughs> and, you know, not... Not so you probably. go down and get a tattoo. Oh, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. So I, I realized. I, so I called my husband. I said, well, "You, I think I'm gonna get a tattoo." He's, what do you think about that? He's like, "Oh, sure." And I, you know, all my friends have tattoos, but I, I don't, and never thought I would. But anyway, I went down and I, I got them to tattoo "Love Thy Neighbor" on my wrist. <laughs> and they're like, "You're the lady that swears at us." Yeah. Right? <laughs> you went undercover, didn't you? They didn't know. You didn't. They, they didn't know you were the swearing lady. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And but it, it it really changed my heart. I mean, it was mm, very yeah. Grinch. Mm. You know, three sizes that day. My heart mm. grew, and nice. so I was like baking them cookies after that. And <laughs> Joe thought awesome. it was crazy. Yeah. Great, but just to kind of wrap us up here today. And what would you say to someone who today is listening to this podcast and they're experiencing a, a season of grief? What advice would you give them? I would say you are not alone. Um. And I would encourage them to 
name that, to acknowledge whatever it is that's hurting their heart in whatever ways it's hurting their heart. I would encourage them to find a traveling companion to be with them, to be able to uh, uh, journey with them. That could be a pastor or a spiritual director or a friend or um, and a good book or a therapist. Or, um, and to find ways to creatively move that grief. So to open that up. Uh, to themselves and to God and to to another person, if possible, and uh, and allow God to come and tend to what needs to be tended to within them. Great. Hey, Beth, this has been great. Thank you so much for for coming on. Thanks for such a beautiful book that you wrote, and uh, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback of how it's helped people in their grieving process. And today, in this podcast, hopefully, we'll do the same. Uh, tell tell people listening where they can find. Um, stuff from you or the book or I don't know if you have a blog or or anything or any other writings that you do. I just wrote myself out in the book. So that, <laughs> yeah. apparently the beach though, the beach tomorrow morning, you can find her at the beach. That's right, you can find her surfing. You can go look for her at the beach on Wednesday and Friday. That's right. Thank you so much. You guys have been so thoughtful and fun. All right, that that's been Beth Slevkov and we'll be back here in a few moments on Post-Christian Pastors to wrap things up. Stick around. Welcome back to Post-Christian Pastors, and what a great show of yeah. talking about grief. Deep I mean, that's a, that's a tough subject. We've, uh, we've bid adieu to Marv and to John. They were so overcome yeah. with grief that they had to leave. No, they just had other things they had to do, so Mike and I are left here to, to wrap things up. But Beth, was, I, listen, when I listened to Beth, it was a blessing. You know, she, she went through a really hard thing in her life and the loss of her brother, tragic loss of her brother. Yeah. Which, but out of that, God's used to write a book and to help other people. These broken hallelujahs. What a great title! Sure, kind of off that song, uh, that line in the song, "Hallelujah." You know, yeah. the broken hallelujah, where sometimes that's all we can give. You know, it's just a a very hard, broken, cold hallelujah, um, and holding on to whatever little bit of faith we have left in the midst of grief. And trusting that God is good in the midst of it. Yep. Yeah, it was a great topic, a real topic. I think many people deal with it. And, uh, you know, contrasting to our last podcast, which humor and is part of life as well. Right. You have so to is laugh. Pain. You, know, you have to. And there's, there's times where it's, I mean, it's so healthy just to laugh and enjoy life. But there's times where life is painful and it feels like a loss. And we need to deal with this as well. So great, great topic. Yeah, there's a there's this old quote that says that grieving is the process of accepting the unacceptable, hmm. and and I think that's a beautiful quote. It's in the it's in her book. Uh, you know, grieving is the process of accepting the unacceptable, yep. and so it's a process. And yep. for some people, it's a long process. For most of us, it's a long process. But we try to speed everything up. We want everybody to feel good right away, and that's just not. That's just not part of the process right away. I mean, process takes a long time, does. Uh, especially for things that are really deep things to grieve and, and learning to accept what's unacceptable. Like there are broken things in this world that should never happen, but trying to get to a place through that process of accepting what well, we never want to be acceptable. Yep. We don't want it to be acceptable. We don't want to see people get divorced. We don't, we don't want to, we don't want to see people die at six years old or, you know, we want everybody to live to 90 and have a 95 and have a beautiful life and, yeah. and everything goes great. And that should always be, that's, that was God's design. But, but not just the big things, all the small things. I like how she talks about grieving the small things as well. Right. I mean, you're, you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. We just had a, a family that I love move away from our area, uh, move out to Arizona. And I grieve that. Whenever yeah. someone, I'm happy for them. I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity. And there's this kind of dichotomy where I'm, I'm sad. And for right. for me, I always deny it until like I realize about a month later, they're not coming back to church. <laughs> I'm not going to see them anymore. I don't get to hang out with them. I really right. enjoyed their their personalities. And there's a sense of loss, even in the small things. So it doesn't have to be a huge thing like you mentioned. It could be just a, a tiny thing that we experience as well. Yeah. Well, it was very pastoral today. 
Yep. She was very pastoral. and She was and, caring, man. I could sit on the couch and have her <laughs> right. dig into my wounds. Yeah, she would yeah, great dig into out. my wounds and heal my wounds. Yep. Well, I wanted to close the podcast today with a prayer that she includes in her book. Uh, and I hope you go pick up the book on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. Broken Hallelujahs. Um, but she includes a prayer from the, uh, the Book of Common Prayer, okay. um, the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, and, and, and this is what it says. It says, Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the the afflicted. And I love this line, shield the joyous. It's almost like you have to shield them. When I read that, I think about like shield them from, from letting their joy become their God, you know, their happiness to become their idol. Sure. It's a really interesting choice of words, shield the joyous. Cause when we're in those seasons of joy, we can forget and we can get caught up in that and forget that there is suffering in this world. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. Amen. Good words. Yep. Good words. Well, thank you for being with us here on this podcast today. This is Post-Christian Pastors. You can find us on Facebook at Post-Christian Pastors. You can download this podcast from iTunes. Please download it. Share it with people. If you know somebody who's struggling with grief right now, tell them where to find it. Pretty much every platform you can find podcasts on, you'll find us. Tell them to stream it. Download us. Uh, you can send us an email at postchristianpastors at gmail.com. Uh, look us up, find us on Facebook. However, we hope this has been a blessing to you. So with that, we say goodbye, take care, be well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you next time. <laughs>